story is told of a uh, lawyer who opened the door of his brand new BMW when suddenly a car comes along hitting the door and ripping it off completely. When the police arrived at the scene, the lawyer was complaining bitterly about the damage that was done to his precious new car. He started to whine, officer, look at what they've done to my brand new Beamer. And he continued to whine about it until finally the policeman, out of frustration, said, you know what, you lawyers, you lawyers are so materialistic, you make me sick. You're so worried about your stupid BMW, you didn't even notice that your left arm was torn off. <laughs> and just at that point, the man looked over, and sure enough, his arm was missing. He said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, and then the policeman started feeling bad. He said, well, don't, don't worry about your arm. The, the uh, ambulance is on his way. He said, I'm not worried about that. Where's my Rolex? <laughs> oh, where's my Rolex? <laughs> what's, what's, the, what's the point? Well, the point is I saved my... I don't know. There is a point. I'm getting to it. The point is sometimes we can become so tunnel visioned that, that we miss the lessons that can and uh, need to be learned. And all this brings us back to our study of the book of Daniel. And chapter 6 is perhaps one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. And it certainly is of the book of Daniel. And it's the account of uh, Daniel and the den of lions. Now, what's interesting about this is, how many, of, how many of you, with a show of hands, are familiar with the story of Daniel and the den of lions? Can I see them? Nice and high. Look at all those hands. Many of us are familiar with the, the accounts. And what's interesting about that is, before we dig into the chapter, I'm going to ask you some questions, and, and I don't do this very often, and you're going to find out there's good reason for it in a second. But um, I, w- I want to just ask you if there are some other classic Bible stories that you're familiar with that you would put in the category of Daniel and the Den of Lions. What would be some of them? One. Okay, Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. Huh? Any other ones? David and Goliath, a classic. Jonah and the whale, another one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for the people that have been studying the book of Daniel. We've kind of covered that a little bit. Good, though. Hey, hey. others? Samson and Delilah? Pardon me? Jesus feeding the 5,000, and on and on it goes. There are classic stories that are in the Bible that... For the most part, whether a person's a Christian or not a Christian, whether they read the Bible or don't read the Bible, there are some stories that are in there that, you know, people have heard of. You know, and uh, if you stop and think about it, what's fascinating, Noah and the flood, Joseph and his multicolored dream coat, you know, Joshua and the battle of Jericho, we talked David and Goliath, we spoke of Jonah and the great fish. And what's fascinating about all this is, why did God choose to record such events? And what's interesting about that is sometimes we get so tunnel visioned that we forget the lessons that are to be learned. Turn with me in, the, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 before we dig into Daniel 6 because I want to lay a little groundwork or foundation for what's going on so that we can understand that there's a reason that these stories have been recorded. And it's a bigger reason than just their classic fun stories to share or to talk about or to use in you know Sunday school class or as a kid growing up to hear. These are stories that God has chosen to record, and there's a reason for it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we start with verse 1 and we read these words. It says that, For I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. There's the Red Sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved and do not be idolaters as some of them were as it was written that people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. It says, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you but it is such as common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able 
but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. When I first became a Christian, 1 Corinthians 10.13 was one of the Bible verses that we memorized as part of our study. And what's interesting about that is oftentimes, as is the case, we memorize Bible passages or Bible verses, and oftentimes we don't even get the context in which it was written. And what's fascinating as we look at that, if you look back at this, you'll see that God said that these things were written for us as examples so we didn't make the same mistakes as those who preceded us. And also, if you look at verse 11, they were written for our instruction to teach us valuable lessons that God wants us to know about our relationship with God and also what he demands of us as far as our behavior is concerned. There's a purpose to it all. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for, correct, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequately equipped for all good works. The Bible says that the purpose of these stories are not just to give us stories that we go, oh, that was a good one. But basically to say, hey, what can we learn from all of that? If you think about it, you know, what do you learn from the story of Noah and the flood? Many of us know the story, but what have you learned personally that has changed your life and the way that you live because of the instruction that you gained from that particular account? What have you learned from Noah and the flood? Anybody? Obedience. Obedience to what? Okay, to obey. To obey the Word of God. Somebody that what the last days are going to be like, because oftentimes we'll see in the New Testament that, that God will take what has happened in the past and say, just as in the days of Noah, and the purpose of that is to say, hey, it should, it should flag, wait a minute, in the days of Noah, what happened? Well, what happened in the days of Noah was God told Noah to preach repentance to people, that they should turn from their sins and turn to God for forgiveness. And if they would not do that, they would be judged by God. And a great flood would come for 120 years. What I learned from the lesson is for 120 years, God loves people so much that he patiently waited for 120 years so that every person would be without excuse. They heard that they should repent and they mocked him and they mocked Noah and they did not repent. And when the rain started to fall, we learn of not only the patience of God, but the certainty of the word of God. When God says something, it's going to come to fruition. We need to recognize and understand that. But we got these great stories, and yet some of us don't grasp the significance while we're looking for our Rolex. You know, we need to understand there's lessons here to be learned. Okay, what about, oh, you know what's interesting about that is, is, uh, you know, talking about the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea. Yesterday I was visiting Matt in prison, and, and I asked him, okay, what did you read this week? And he goes, I was reading that e-book. What was the e-book? And, uh, I mean, oh, the e-book. Yeah, in the beginning, in the, in the beginning there. Oh, Exodus? Said, yeah, that's it. He goes, what's it about? It's about all these people leaving. Oh, good. That's why I called Exodus. Exit, get it? Okay, good. And then, um, you know, but it was great because I said, hey, what did, you, what did you learn or what did you pick up? And he said, man, you know, what's really interesting is that story about when they put the blood over the doorpost of their house that the angel of death passed over them. I said, why did that happen? You know, it was fascinating as we began to talk about it. I said, what would happen? Explain to me in your own words what happened. I said, well, God told them, if they didn't want to be judged by God, that they would have to go out and get a lamb. And it was an unblemished lamb. They were to wait a certain amount of time. Then they were to take that lamb and they were to kill it. And then they were to put the blood of that lamb above the doorpost. And if they did as God said to do, they would not be judged by God. That the, the, the tenth plague of death would pass over them and they were to remember that as a constant memorial before God from that day forward. And that's what the Feast of Passover is a, is a remembrance of, a memorial of. And the point is this. They put the blood on the doorpost of their house. And if they did that, God said, guess what? The angel of death will pass over you and you will not be judged by God. So then I say, hey, Matt, guess what? Think about this now. You know what God says? That if we believe in Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed on our cross and we put that blood over the doorpost of our heart, that God says that because we're obedient to God's word, his judgment will pass over us and go to the next person. And whether that person has believed in Christ and put the blood of, his, of, of the cross over his heart, then God will determine how we're to be judged based on whether we believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. Do you understand that what that was was a foreshadow or a picture of what God was to do later in the person of Christ? That's why we see here in 1 Corinthians 10, it says in verse 4, that all drank the same spiritual drink. They were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. It was a picture of what God was to do. Said, so now, what did those people do to deserve to be forgiven? Nothing. 
what they did was they obeyed the word of God. God said, do this and you will not be judged by God. I said, Matt, does that make any sense to you? That because you put blood on the doorpost of your house, that the angel of death would pass over just because of that? Because you know what? That doesn't make much sense to me either. You know, does it make any sense to you that if you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you accept His death in your place on the cross and the blood that was shed on your benefit, if you just believe what God says, then God says that the certainty of judgment will pass over you? He said, you know what? It doesn't make any sense to me either. But you know what? That's the way it is. That's the truth of the Word of God. And you know what? And the way we know that it's true is because those who fail to obey, they were judged and their oldest son died because of their disobedience. Do you see when God says something, He means it. What's fascinating is I said, hey Matt, remember when you were going through Exodus and you came across the point where they were being bitten by serpents in the wilderness? I said, yeah. I said, what did they have to do to be saved from the serpent's bite? I said, well, Moses was told to take a snake and put it on a stick and to hold it up in front of everybody. And if they would just look upon that stick that was held up, that they would be saved from the serpent's sting said, Matt, Jesus said this. He said, you know what? Just as in the days of Moses, just as when the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up for all those who look upon Him will be saved from the consequences of judgment. Isn't it a fascinating thing how God takes these stories for us to illustrate and instruct us as to the truth of the Word of God. When the cross was lifted up, for those of us who look upon the cross and believe in Jesus Christ, when His blood was shed for our benefit, and we put that, take that blood and we put it over the doorpost of our heart, the Bible says, just as in the days of Moses they were spared the judgment of God, so you and I will be spared the judgment of God that's yet to come because we believed in Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of me bringing all these things up? I want you to understand that the stories that are recorded are there for our instruction. As we go through it, Joseph and his multicolored dream coat, what are the lessons? Hey, you know what? Jealousy is not a good thing. That God's will will always come to fruition. Joseph, and you know what? And you learn this, that Joseph wasn't a bitter man filled with resentment. Even though he was treated poorly, what they meant for evil, he said God would turn into something good. And he wasn't bitter about how he was treated. And in fact, we're told that he named his first son Manasseh, which means God has made me to forget. A classic example of 1 Corinthians 13 where the Bible says that God's love does not take into an account a wrong that's suffered. Hey, look at the life of Joseph and you'll learn what that's all about. The Bible says to flee temptation. Hey, look at the life of Joseph when he fled from Potiphar's wife in the home of Potiphar and his wife. And he ran out stark naked as he ran away because he, he would rather suffer the consequence of being obedient to God than compromise and give in to Potiphar's wife. And then the Bible says flee temptation. Wow, what a word picture we have as we look back at Joseph. The same thing happened. And we go through all of these stories and we realize that the book, in, in, in the, the story of Jonah, what do we learn from that? You know what? I learned this. God loves people that I can't stand being around. And it's a good thing because people can't stand being around me and God loves me. It works out. It kind of balances out. That's what I learned. God says, hey, go to Nineveh and preach repentance and then I'll, I'll forgive their sins. And Jonah said, I don't like Ninevites. They bug me. And what else bugs me is I know that if they repent, you'll do what you say. I'm not going. Well, good. Guess where you're going? Woo! Belly of a whale. Belly of a great fish. He's in there for three days. You know what Jesus said? Just as Jonah was in the belly of a whale, so I'll be in the bellies of the earth. But in three days, I'll be raised up again. Wow. Wow, this is good stuff. David and Goliath. What a great story. One man that wouldn't back down. With, with man it seemed impossible. But you know with God? All things are possible. Isn't that great? This is good stuff. Now what's interesting about this, in all these accounts we learn that, you know what? God's will is sovereign. That God is in absolute 100% control. And so when we look at this, the point is going back to the book of Daniel in, in chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, flip back there. Because we're going to get there says that uh, what's interesting about this, this isn't just another classic Bible story, but a spiritual classroom that's lived out by real people for our instruction today. Now what's interesting is, as I read through this account, I, I couldn't help but see the irony of the experience of the life of Daniel. You know, Daniel spent only one night, think about it, he spent one night in the den of lions, but he spent a lifetime from the age of 17 until he was about 90 in a far more dangerous environment. 
Think about it. He lived for 73 years within the reach of two-legged creatures far more dangerous than lions. He lived in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. And because of that, he found himself in constant danger. And what's fascinating is, yet he emerged after 73 years in the most hostile environment possible. He emerged as a man of integrity. Which brings us to today. And you ask yourself this question. Can a person of integrity be successful today in an environment, if you think about it, that has grown increasingly hostile to what it would label as narrow-minded convictions? Can a person of integrity still be successful today in such a hostile environment? The trend in our country over the past 30 years has been to do away with absolutes or rigid, uh, what we'd call rigid standards. You know, if you think about it, the graying of America, as I was thinking about this, has less to do with age and more to do with the blurring of the lines that used to be so clearly defined. We've learned to soften our language so that we could make our actions more acceptable. A lie is now a miscalculation of a verbally expressed statement. <laughs> Adultery is now an affair, kind of like a social function. Homosexuals are gay. Abortion is pro-choice. Divorce is now just a mutual agreement to head in different directions. And what's interesting about that is, while we are ambiguous, God is not. Any child can pick up the Word of God and glean exactly what it is that God is saying. And I like that. I like the fact that God just tells us the way it is the way he wants it to be, the way that we're doing it is flat wrong and he doesn't hesitate to say it. The way he wants us to go, he gives us instruction and direction. I like that. I need that. I'm a guy. You know, the old, if you don't know by now, you know, God knows I don't know by now. You know, and none of us know by now. If you're a guy, you don't know by now. So would you please just tell us, put it in writing and, and you know, list it how you want it done in order. You know, ladies, you know, give yourself, you know, free yourself up. Don't take it personal. We're guys. So if your husband didn't get it yet, after 20-some years, like in our case, he ain't going to get it. <laughs> Unless you write it down. Or just tell him direct. God likes to just tell us direct. I like that. Now the question for you is this. Have you ever had a deal with a person or persons who have tried to uh, make you look bad in order that they may look good? Ever had to deal with that? Several months ago, we're in the construction industry, we're in the, the heating and air conditioning business, and I just praise the Lord for hot weather. Just want to let you know. <laughs> hot weather to an air conditioning contractor is like a plague to a mortician. Man. <laughs> that was just a word picture. But the point is, is... Uh, I like it. No, that's not the point. But the point is, is that uh, we deal with people all the time that are in the construction industry. Several months ago, we have a real good customer we've dealt with for a number of years, and they hired this man to be a project manager. And the next thing I know, this guy's just slamming us. He's going around talking to all the other project managers, superintendents, telling them what a crummy job that we're doing. And it's like, man, we haven't been out of a job yet. It's like, what's up? You know, what's he doing? Well, I find out, and make a long story short, he had some other mechanical contractors that he had done work with in his previous company, and he wanted to get us out of the loop so he can bring them in. So he had a kind of a vested interest in slamming us to get us out of the loop. You know, we all go through things like that. Recently, I talked to a couple of guys who played uh, Major League Baseball. One of them was, was, had a great spring, was sent to the minor leagues, and he was tearing it up at the plate. Sent to the minors, and he had a great season while he was there. And then for some reason, unknown to anybody, that information was kind of being, oh, let's just say, manipulated a little bit, and it wasn't getting back to the big club. And so he sat down there for a number of months before finally he got uh, brought up. And in that frustration, trying to figure out what was going on. Same thing happened recently with a man who was, who was pitching who was sent back down to the minors. As it turned out, he wasn't even pitching that bad. In fact, he was pitching probably better than he had the month before. But the reason he was sent down, or maybe the reason he was sent down, was because he's in the option year of his contract. Now, I worked with the Rams for 10 seasons, and one thing I found fascinating about professional sports is, whether you understand it or not, it's a business. 
And it's like, you know, if somebody's going to be doing really well and they're coming up on their free agent year, then you want to make sure that you hide them from everybody else in the league because if they see how good they are, you'll probably not be able to outbid them for their services and they'll go somewhere else. And if you really want to, want to keep them, what you're going to do is you're going to try to hide them and bury them somewhere in your organization. And so all of a sudden, this person, that you know, you could play, you could be on the Pro Bowl for six years and the last half of the season, you're getting benched for somebody else. And it's like, what? <laughs> What's this all about? What's going on? If you've ever had that happen to you, then you'll understand what's about to happen to Daniel. The question for you is this. How do you respond to those events that take place in life inevitably? Do you become anger, angry and want retaliation? Do you become worried to the point where you end up with ulcers and you're a nervous wreck and you've got stress and nausea and everything that goes with it? Do you uh, become bitter and, and resentful? So the point where you can't even enjoy life today because of this, 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 this tragedy, this gross injustice that's taken place in your life? Do you back down and conform because you don't want to make any waves so you're going to drop and, and, and kind of back it down? What's fascinating to me is this. I want you to think about something. 2,600, that's 2,600 years ago, Daniel went through a similar ordeal. And he was in a business climate that's not much different than ours today. He was in a hostile environment, and his co-workers and his subordinates got together and conspired basically to stab him in the back and to take his place. It's kind of like a team today that doesn't like their coach or, or their manager, and they kind of get together and say, you know what, we're going to tank it for a while till we get rid of this guy. They conspire. How's Daniel going to respond to such pressure? How do you normally respond uh, when in similar situations? What's fascinating to me is this. Have you ever heard anybody tell you, hey, you know what, the Bible's not really relevant to today. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that. You've heard that. Oh, the Bible's not really relevant for today. It's like, please, have you read it? Think about this. What's more relevant than what we're talking about? From the passage, let's examine six areas, and we'll only get to a couple of them today, but six areas that are filled with truth for today, starting with verse 1. Let's read this. It says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. It says, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. It says, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. It says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom and the perfects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then King Darius signed the document, that is, he signed the injunction. The first thing I want to point out to you is this. We're, we're, we're brought... To, face-to-face -face with the position of Daniel in, in verses 1 through 3. Now, what's fascinating about the position of Daniel is interwoven through this account of the life of Daniel are character traits um, that are, add up to integrity. If you think about it, Daniel following the death of Belshazzar and the defeat of the Babylonian Empire once again rises to a position of authority in this new established empire. Now, what's fascinating, too, is that for approximately 23 years, Daniel was out of the authority loop. Once on top under Nebuchadnezzar, for a number of years, he was seemingly washed up when the new administration took place, when Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar took over for 17 years and then 23 total years. He was seemingly forgotten. He was set aside. Everything he had done up to that point uh, basically didn't make any difference and didn't mean anything. 
Now, what's interesting about Daniel is this. When opportunity knocked, Daniel always was available to answer the door. I want to to share a principle with you from Daniel's life that I don't want you to miss. And that's this. Never, never become bitter, angry, or resentful when things don't go as you think they should have gone. Never, never become bitter, angry, or resentful when things don't go as you think they should have gone. I want you to consider Daniel's life for encouragement. Think about it. Daniel faithfully served his employer, Nebuchadnezzar, for 40 years. He had an impeccable track record. He gave the best years of his life to that administration. And he wholeheartedly and devoted himself to service. And you know what his reward was for those 40 years? When the new administration took over, they basically told him, I'm sorry, you don't have a job anymore. How's that for relevant? Perhaps you've experienced a corporate merger recently. Or a leveraged buyout. Or an acquisition of another kind. Or maybe you've experienced in your business downsizing. I know personally I'd gone through that in my own business career where we were acquired by a major petroleum company only to be divested by the same company a few years later. Now what's fascinating about that is is that we see it all the time with athletics. We see it regularly in places of employment when you know your manager is promoted somewhere else and you get a new manager and you didn't get the promotion or you have a new boss and the favorite line during acquisitions is this, don't worry, we're not going to change anything, we're from corporate, we're here to help you. That's the kiss of death. That's a, I used to take guys out to lunch, you know, when we were having problems business-wise, and uh, I used to take guys out to lunch and, you know, buy them an iced tea, buy them lemonade, talk to them, and then uh, eventually many of them we had to part ways. Uh, now what's fascinating about that is that reputation spread around our company. So anytime I ask somebody to have lunch with me, they were like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm really busy. It's like, what? And then I find out, man, every time you take somebody to lunch, you fire them. It's like, no, no. Oh, yeah. So we had to change that a little bit. But anyway, but the point is, as we look at this, and it's interesting because we can become so bitter and fall into that trap, and the trap is this. Okay. All right, good, all right. But the trap is this. We, we work someplace for a long period of time, and here's what we begin to think. What? They owe me. They owe me. Do you realize how many years, the best years of my life that I gave to this company? They owe me. You know, I've got, oh, here's the best, I've got seniority. That's not fair. I'm not being treated right. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Did Daniel get promoted because they owed him? Did Daniel get promoted because he had seniority? Did Daniel get promoted because he was a squeaky wheel, he yelled the loudest, he marketed himself better than his competitor because he bad-mouthed his competition? No. You know why Daniel got promoted? Because God chose to promote him. God chose to promote him. God granted Daniel favor in the eyes of human beings that were brought before him. God promoted Daniel because God chose to promote Daniel. He was excellent at what he did, which made him a lot easier to be promoted, but don't miss this fact. God promoted him. Here's a principle. We don't have to be worried about being passed over for promotion or fearful of others who try to destroy us to promote themselves or their own cause. We don't have to worry about that at all. We don't, have, you know, we don't have to worry about any of that. We don't have to toot our own horn. We don't have to sell ourselves and promote ourselves. We don't have to do any of that. And you know why? Because God knows where to find us when He wants to promote us. Duh. You believe that? If you believe that, then what are you doing all those other things for? What are you bad-mouthing your competition? What are you promoting yourself for? What are you selling other people on all the abilities that you have and the gifts and how wonderful you are? Why are we always doing these kind of things as if somehow or another God doesn't know where we are? What's fascinating is Moses was buried in a desert in the wilderness for 40 years. And you know what? And he was there until what? God called. Joseph was buried, seemingly buried in the prison of Potiphar's house. Seemingly forgotten man. Until one day, God called. David was out in obscurity watching his father's sheep 
while his brothers all paced before the prophet to determine who was going to be the next king. David wasn't even called into the meeting because they figured no one's going to want him to be a king. He wasn't even around. He was out doing what he was supposed to do, faithfully serving his father and taking care of his sheep. And guess what happened? Hey, the phone rang. It was God. Come on in. I got a job for you. It's a tremendous message of encouragement, and you probably don't even have a clue what it means to guys that are buried in a minor league baseball system. Single A, double A, triple A, you know, this, that, and the other. Man, there's just levels and levels, and every one of them feel like they're buried and forgotten. But you know what's fascinating about it is, hey, God can find them there too. See, I don't know if you think you're buried in your company and nobody knows where you are and that you've been faithfully serving your employer and you're doing a great job and somehow or another you keep getting passed up for promotion. Let me just tell you something. Don't be bitter by that because when it's the right time, if you humble yourself before God and trust God that He's in control of everything, we humble ourselves before God. You know what the Bible says? That God, as we humble ourselves before Him, will exalt us at the proper time. It's an attitude of humility. Daniel in obscurity said, Hey, you know what? It doesn't matter to me because God's always known where to find me. When it's time to step up and the door knocks, I'll answer the door, and with God's help, we're going to go through the next chapter and see where it all leads. That's a tremendous feeling of peace and security to know that he wasn't bitter when after 40 years of dedicated service, he was seemingly set aside and passed over. You know why he wasn't bitter? Because he knew that God was in control. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? The only way you'll know is when you go through times such as that. Then you'll know when you've got peace and confidence and assurance and people around you are asking you, man, why aren't you bitter and why aren't you angry? Don't you, look at this, you were up for promotion the third or fourth or fifth time now. It should have been you and it's not you. Why aren't you bitter and why aren't you angry? Easy, because God knows where I am. And when it's my time, it's my time. And if it's never my time, it's not going to be my time. You know why? Because God knows me better than I know myself. And so I'm not going to lobby for something that God doesn't think I'm prepared for. We need to run around lobbying and selling ourselves to other people. I don't want a position that I have to lobby for. If God doesn't feel that I'm ready, I don't want to get there because I want Him with me. That's a scary thought. Think about it. I'd just like to be promoted to a position because you did all the politicking and all the lobbying and you get there and you're not prepared to be there and all you're going to do is fall flat on your face. Because God said, hey, I let you have it, but I didn't prepare, prepare you for it. Now the question for you is this. What was Daniel doing during those 23 years that he was seemingly forgotten and set aside? What do you think he was doing? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was spending time with the Word of God. He was spending time with fellowship with God. He was praying on a regular basis, and we're going to see that in this account. He was excelling in whatever it was that God told him to do. Tell me this isn't relevant for today. The guy gets sent down to the minor leagues, you know what you tell him and you know the right thing to tell him? Hey, you, you, just, you give 100% and you devote yourself wholeheartedly because it's the Lord God you serve. You're not there to please people anyway, but you're there to please God. If you've been passed over for promotion and you're still in the same position and you're bitter and angry about it, may, may I just share something with you? Don't even waste your time. You just do the job that God's called you to do and you do it the best of your ability. God knows where you are. We're reminded throughout the book of Daniel that Daniel was a man of extraordinary spirit, as we see. Extraordinary spirit. It's fascinating as you think about it. He was a man dedicated wholeheartedly to the Lord. He continually sought God's wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, the book of James tells us. If any man lacks wisdom, and, and it's if and if and it, it is so. If and it is so. We all lack wisdom. You know, it says, let him ask of God who gives graciously and without reproach. We need to start turning to the Lord for wisdom. Daniel did. What's fascinating about it is he was, even at the age of 80 years of age, he was open and teachable. He was that exact opposite of a man named Geotrephes who was found in the third letter of John in the New Testament, who John warned that he was a man who would not listen to anything that he was told. The opposite of a, a proud and arrogant person is one who actually listens and there's more to learn. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That at the age of 80, he realized, you know what? I still got a lot of learning to do. I don't know it all. He knew a lot. He knew more than probably I'll ever know in three lifetimes. He knew a lot. But he knew that he didn't know everything. And he asked God who did. 
He sought the wisdom of God. What's interesting, he had an attitude of submission and humility and he accepted his role. Whether he was in the limelight or whether he was in the background, it didn't make any difference to him because he didn't get caught up in all the hype. And you know why he didn't? Because if you remember throughout this book of Daniel, every time man tried to give Daniel the credit, what did he do? He gave it all back to God. He gave it all back to God. When you're thrust in the limelight and people want to adore you and they want to pat you on the back and they want to tell you how great you are, may I suggest something that will keep you out of trouble in the future? And that's simply this. Give all the credit back to God. Because what do you have that wasn't given to you? What have you received that wasn't given to you by God? If God elevates you to a position of any kind of position where anybody's stroking you and patting you on the back, may I just say to you, give all the credit and glory back to God. Daniel did. And that's why he had an attitude It was this, the same attitude that Job had. Hey, you know what? Are we just going to accept blessing from God and not adversity? And everything that happened in his life, he said, hey, you know what? Though he slay me, I'm still going to praise his name. Though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. Though he put me in a position of leadership and for 40-some years I was in a position of power, now I'm in obscurity and nobody even knows who I am. Guess what? He wasn't bitter about it at all. Why? Because every time anybody gave him praise, he said, don't praise me, praise God. Isn't that great? That's a great attitude to have. That's an attitude that we all should have. This organization, look at the chart. What was the purpose of it? It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One was Daniel. You follow that? 120, so there's 40 in each group. And this vast kingdom that now has, has taken place, the, the, the Medes and the Persians, they're going to organize it for the purpose of having not only sound administration, but so that the king would not suffer any financial loss. So if you've got the organizational chart, you've got uh, Darius, who is left in charge, and you've got these three commissioners, one of which is Daniel. We don't know the names of the other two. And under each one of them, they've got 40 of these satraps who report to them. And then from there, it breaks down even further. So Daniel is in a key position of power. And I want you to, to, to this little side note, which is kind of interesting to me, is this. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, history tells us that Cyrus spared King Nebuchadnezzar when they conquered Babylon, which is fascinating because he was king. But because of the judgment of God, Belshazzar was executed, as we saw in Daniel 5, that very night. Now, what's interesting to me is this. Nebuchadnezzar was a king who, who, who had no prominence in the new empire, but Daniel did. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't matter. God, God knows where to find us. Everyone would thought, wow, man, the king must be getting get a position of responsibility. And guess what? He was out of the loop. Why? Because God raises up one and he takes them down. He raises up another. He does whatever he wants to do. Which is kind of interesting. And there's a timeless truth as we go through this. But look at Daniel in, in uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Look at this. It says, in Daniel, as we look at this in, in verse 6, verse, I mean, verse 3, it says, then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Notice this. Then Daniel began distinguishing himself. This phrase indicates a wonderful quality about the life of Daniel. Even though he was 80 years old, had an impeccable track record over 40 years of distinguished service under Nebuchadnezzar, he knew he could not rest. Listen, he knew he could not rest on his past performance. He understood that King Cyrus and King Darius could have cared less what he had done in the past under Nebuchadnezzar's administration. The only thing that he cared about was what he was going to do today for them. He understood that he'd have to earn the right to be heard. Listen to me. How many of us become bitter because people don't take into consideration, don't you know what I've done in the past? Nobody cares. It's like an athlete. Man, don't you know who I am? Don't you know all the things that I've done in the past? Listen, the reason we signed you was because of all the stuff you did in the past. That's why you still have a job. But we don't care what you did yesterday. We are concerned what you will do for us today and tomorrow and in the days to come. Yesterday is history. That's why they call it that. <laughs> Nobody cares what you did yesterday. Grab that quick. 
It's so easy to get bitter and say, but don't you know all the things that I did? Nobody cares. The only reason you have a job is because of maybe those things that you did. But if you don't keep doing the things that you used to do, you will be unemployed. Right? You know, there's an attitude, isn't there? When I went out of prison again, it's like I've been out there now enough that every time I go there, they ask me the same question. Who are you here to see? I'm here to see so-and-so. What's your name? It's so-and-so. All right. Do you have any ID? And I just want to say, but I'm afraid they won't buzz the door to let me back out. Uh, you're starting to pick up on a pattern here. Don't you know? And it's like, and I was thinking, yes, don't you know who I am? We don't care. And then it's like God saying, hey, I got it. Nobody cares. That's so freeing, it's amazing. Nobody does. They don't care what you used to do. They don't care what you've done in the past. But all they care about is if you do what you're doing today and what you'll do tomorrow. Isn't that true? Now what's interesting about that is, you think about it. How many of us, the older that we get, the more, I don't know, prone we are to have an attitude like, you know, when you were still in diapers. Do you know what I was doing when you were still in diapers? And we know what you were doing in your diapers. Do you know? It's kind of like we get so, I, I don't we just get so confused about our own self-worth. You know, we get so confused about the worth of others around us. We, we, we think that we're really more important than we really are. And we get all hung up on that. Don't you know who I am? I love this story. It's like interesting when you think about this. But the, the question for you is this. Are you in a new job? then you need to begin distinguishing yourself as if it was the first day you ever started working in your life. You have a new boss, then you need to prove to that boss that, you know what, you're the kind of employee that that boss wants to have. You got a new younger boss, God forbid. <laughs> but in case you do, then you know what, you need to prove to him or her that you deserve a job. You're in a new school, nobody cares what you used to do. You're on a new team, nobody cares what you used to do there either. You have a new coach. He doesn't care what you used to do for the old coach. That's why the old coach is called the old coach. You need to begin distinguishing yourself all over again. We get so hung up on all that. I love the story that I heard about the Pope who was going to the United Nations for a meeting. He gets there and his plane is running late. He gets there and he's late. The chauffeur picks him up and the chauffeur's stuck in traffic and he's going slow and the Pope knows he's going to miss his next meeting. So he says, hey, can you please hurry up? Let's go a little faster. And the chauffeur says, I can't. I've got two tickets already. The next ticket, I'm going to lose my license. And the Pope says, okay, i got an idea. Here, you get in the back. I'll get in the front. Let me drive. So the Pope gets in the, in the limo, man. He just takes off. He's going about 120 miles an hour. And sure enough, the policeman pulls him over, comes up, knocks on the window. The window goes down. There's the Pope sitting there driving this, this, uh, this uh, limousine. And the policeman goes, do you have any identification? And uh, he hands it to him. And he's looking at it. And he goes back to the radio. He goes back to the car. He goes, oh, man. He goes, uh, hey boss, you're not going to believe who I, I just pulled over. He goes, who was it? He goes, was it the mayor? No, it wasn't the mayor. Bigger than that. He goes, was it the governor? He goes, no, it wasn't the governor. It was bigger than that. Was it the president? He goes, no, it wasn't even the president. It was even bigger than that. And, the, and his boss is like, well, who could you have pulled over? Who was it? He goes, man, I don't know, but whoever it is, the Pope's his chauffeur. <laughs> Big. Big. Wait, see, you see how we get so confused on how important we are? Please, don't miss this. Yesterday is history. Start distinguishing yourself today. I like that. And if Daniel could do it, we certainly can too. It didn't take long for him to distinguish himself from the others. And you know what caused it? You know why people noticed? Because the Bible says he has an extraordinary spirit. Not only does it mean that the spirit of God indwelt him, but it also means that with the combination of the spirit of God indwelling him and the word of God alive in his life and the spirit of God giving him power to live that he made for a package that the world cannot duplicate. When the spirit of God indwells us and the spirit of God empowers us and the word of God 
gives us the information, the knowledge that we need, and the wisdom of God teaches us how to apply it. Man, I'll tell you what, people are going to look at you and say, there's something extraordinary about that person. There's something extraordinary about them as an employee, as a husband, as a wife, and as a father, and as a mother. There's something extraordinary about them. Extraordinary. They're not commonplace. There's something extraordinary there. Is that the reputation that you have? That's the reputation Daniel had. Everywhere that he went, people realized there was something extraordinary about him. And what was extraordinary about him was he knew the Word of God. He studied the Word of God. The Word of God permeated every inch of his being. And the Spirit of God empowered him to live a life in obedience to God. And as he followed through what God told him to do, then the world around him stood back and went, wow, there's something powerful about this man's life. God promotes people that are prepared by the study and the ingestion of the Word of God. God promotes people who are prepared to be obedient to God's calling when He puts them into positions of authority and responsibility because God wants His people to be there to make an impact. Daniel made an impact. Daniel's life was a light that was shining in darkness. Daniel's life was a light that when the light came on, the darkness hated the light because the light exposed their deeds because their deeds were evil. God wants to use us to make a difference. And what's what's fascinating about this is, listen to me, older people. It doesn't matter how old you are, you are never, ever disqualified from God's service. Man, we need more older people who love the Lord and have their bodies permeated with the Word of God. We need them more involved in leadership. We need them more involved in mentoring young men and women. We need them more involved in living a godly life so we have role models to follow. Our culture sets aside older people as if there is no value there any longer. But God help us to understand the words of God when He says in Psalm 92, 14, they will still yield fruit in old age and they will be full of sap and very green. Now, I know that for some of us who are full of sap, that's not exactly what we're looking for, but it is a positive thing that God's talking about there. They will still yield fruit. They will still make a difference. Think about it. Caleb, Joshua, for 40 years waited for his day of promotion. Caleb didn't win his first military victory until he was 80 years old. God promoted them to position of authority and power and responsibility and He didn't hold their age against them. I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to try something different. (laughs) Sometimes, now this may be true of you or it may not, some of the older people that I run into in life who feel like they have no purpose any longer and that life's passed them by and nobody listens to anything that they say. And so therefore, they're not involved and they're just doing their thing. Sometimes it's a result of just being bitter and cynical and and angry at the way they've been treated, kind of set aside like Daniel was, as if they had no value or, or purpose. And God says, you know what, don't buy into that. Just look at the life of Daniel. Some of us use it as an excuse because, frankly, we're just lazy. And it is a tiring battle to be in the, in the Lord's service, isn't it? And we feel like, you know what? I've done my years of service. I'm done now. Hey, can I just help you with something? You will not find retirement anywhere in the Bible. You will find death, but you will not find retirement. As long as God gives you breath and life, He expects you to be used by Him for His service and for His purpose. When you're done, the call will come, He knows where to find you, and He'll call you home. But until then, be diligent, be steadfast, be immovable, and continue abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your toil is not in vain. Don't ever get tired of serving the Lord. Age will not disqualify you. What have we learned? That the Word of God is relevant for today. I'll tell you that right now. And it's written for our instruction to teach us something. We've learned maybe not to be bitter because things don't go our way and to trust God to know that, you know what, He's in control. 
We don't have to be worried or angry that, you know, we've been passed over as if nobody even knows where we are and nobody knows what we do. Because, you know what, God knows everything and he sees. I can take comfort in knowing that, you know what, God's not going to put me in a position uh, that, that, you know, that I'm not ready with his help to be able to accomplish or, or to tackle. And if he doesn't put me there, I don't want to get there. When I'm ready, he's going to put me there. And I, and I can enjoy that. And I can have peace knowing that. We don't have to lobby for anything. We don't have to do any backdoor politicking. We don't have to twist any arms or sell ourselves or, or somehow tear down our competition. Don't ever get tired of distinguishing yourself. Yesterday is history. So when you go to work tomorrow, treat it as if it's the first day that you ever showed up on that job. And you need to begin distinguishing yourself among your colleagues. God's people, whether it's in business or in athletics or in a classroom, God's people should excel in whatever it is we do. We should be the best. When people see us, they should say, that man, that woman, that young woman, that young man has an extraordinary spirit. Not only does the spirit of God indwell that person because they've come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but the Spirit of God empowers them to live a life that's pleasing to God. And they know what to do because they've been in the Word of God and the Word of God permeates their every existence. Man, I'll tell you what. Don't you ever tell me the Bible's not relevant for today. Please, spend a little time and read it. Father, we look forward to what we're going to learn again next week as we look at this plot that these men conspired because they couldn't stand what Daniel was doing. God, I just thank you that, uh, you know what, we're not hidden in obscurity here on this planet. You know, when you stop and look at a satellite view of the earth, we feel like we're so insignificant compared to everything else that's going on. But yet each frame that zooms in closer and closer and closer can frame to the point where we could see one individual. And God, that's your perspective of us. We're not lost in a mass of humanity. We're not lost in the, in the uh, profession that we find ourselves. We're not lost in the company we're not lost in a church. We're not lost in a community. We're not lost in a baseball organization. God, we're, we're not lost anywhere. You know exactly where we are. And you're doing the things that you do to draw us closer to yourself. And God, when it's time as we humble ourselves before the mighty, under the mighty hand of God, you tell us that when it's time that you will exalt us in the proper time. God, help us to trust you, to wait upon you. And as we patiently wait to spend time in your word, to spend time in fellowship, to spend time in prayer, and more importantly, to distinguish ourselves, or as importantly, to distinguish ourselves among our colleagues so that they will see in us an excellent spirit that will cause them to want to know about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.